it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Red alert. All hands to battle stations. Engage. Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, or they'll destroy you. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? Can we just get down to it, please? Get us out of orbit! One minute to auto-destruct. No! Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Trek Monthly Mondays, the Next Generation Edition, number 70 freaking five. Can you believe that? 75 of these things. 75. (laughs) Joining me, as always, is my very bestest friend, Chris Honeywell. I'm ready for my captain's holiday. Oh, and I'm Scott Gardner, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. I don't know if you even care, but I'm going to tell you. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you? Not bad. Not bad. Things have been <laughs> about the same since about 10 minutes ago when we recorded the last episode. <laughs> Took a don't nice spoil. whiz. Feel a little lighter. <laughs> don't spoil the magic for them. Oh, sorry about spoiling the magic, everybody. Speaking of Captain's Holiday, I'm uh, I'm just wrapping up. Uh, tomorrow is the last day of uh, of my Captain's Holiday, and let me tell you something. It was a whole hell of a lot more interesting than Captain Picard's. I'll tell you right now, <laughs> a whole hell of a lot more interesting. But we'll what talk you didn't about have a Maltese that. Falcon type intrigue during your during your visit with the with the family? Let me just put it this way if there was actually something that i could go to the gift shop and purchase and set it on my launch or whatever you call it, beach chair that said please come scrump me you can bet your ass that if i have some topless woman come up to me and be like oh did you need a good scrump and i would be like no i am reading my shakespeare book thank you very much i do not need to get laid ever 
What an asshole. I just want to slap him. But anyway, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. I've got notes. I've got notes about that very thing. (laughs) I mean, really, what other notes are there in this one? Right. Yes, that is going to be the bulk of what I'm going to bitch and complain about with this episode. Yes. (laughs) But before. Before we get into that, we promised the listeners uh, that we were going to uh, just kind of play catch up and talk about, uh, yeah, talk about preamble kind of stuff. So what you got? Well, a couple weeks ago, and this would have tied in a lot better with Next Generation. Um, this is Next Generation. I know, I know, but it, it, it's, it would have tied out if I, time, it would have been more pertinent if I would have gotten what I had planned on getting. I'd. Um, ah. The last time I was there, I had a whole pile of books, and um, um, actually, let me uh, grab the book that I passed up, the Star Trek book four, just so I can be accurate in my description, but I went in there and I had a whole pile of books, and one of them was the Star Trek Next Generation technical manual, and Ooh. I have the TOS technical manual, and I was like, ah, I should get this too, but it was like four or five bucks, so I had it at the bottom of my pile. And I sort of grabbed the pile, and the guy, you know, they have prices inside, but if you have a pile, he'll sort of price it, you know, give you a break on it. So it's like I take it up to him, and then I whittle it down to whatever amount of money I have to spend <laughs> there. So that was on my first whittle off because it was kind of a, kind of pricey for, for this bookstore. And I had also gotten on, on the top was The Mad World of William Gaines which is like a biography of William Gaines, but it's like a mad book, you know? It looks like one of the Mad Magazine paperbacks. And I just saw it, and I was like, either this is going to be a really entertaining book or it's going to be really valuable because it just doesn't seem like something that, like, probably sold a lot of copies when it came out. But it would be something that people would be interested in reading now because, I mean, where else would you get, you know... 250 pages about William Gaines, you know, as a reference. And right. Sure enough, it's going for like 20 to $40. So I, I, I chose well, but it, but the, the gist of the whole thing is I left the Star Trek Next Generation technical manual on the cutting room floor, and then I sort of put it back in a place where it was sort of out of the way, hoping that the next time I had enough money, I could come back and get it. So I went back looking for it, and of course it was gone. But pretty much, like, literally in its place was its trade paperback size book. Let me see the year on this. I want to say it's, like, maybe, like, 1995. And it's called Captain's Logs, The Unauthorized Complete Trek Voyages. And complete, it means complete as in Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation, the movies, and... um, the 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 unproduced episodes of the Star Trek Phase Two, and then you know Voyager and and Deep Space Nine were sort of happening. So there's like they, I think this is probably a second printing, and then they were like, let's tack some material about the production of those of the new shows on the end of it. But it's basically just you know a collection of synopsises and editorializing. But I love the way the guy, I, I, I really like his writing style and his perspective is a little different. It's, you know, it's very similar in a lot of ways to, say, the Nitpicker's Guide or what are they called? Um, the Compendiums. 
Right. But, but this is where I get really nerdy with my nerd books is I like having different versions of the synopsises synopses by different people and different perspectives on it. This this I mean this guy is definitely opinionated about which episodes he likes, which ep- episodes he hates and stuff like that. So it's a fun read and he and he always has a nice chapter before each season where he talks about the general, you know, a little preamble on on each particular season or whatever he's tackling or whichever movie. So, yeah, I I I I never know this book's existence and uh, it's a good one you know I have uh, like I have more now I'm finally starting to get my Star Trek and Star Wars references in in order I've been doing the same thing like I remember getting the Rolling Stone record guide and being like ooh this is like the bible on music and then getting the spin record guide going yeah these guys know what they're talking about more and then getting the trouser press one and going like oh man (laughs) these guys are even more on it than uh than spin and so like i love references like that even if they're repetitive the way that you get it's i mean really those things were kind of like the forerunners of podcasts in a way you know almost uh, the forerunners of what we're doing right now and that was the way by 95 you could do that on the internet too but you know in general it's just it's and it's good fodder maybe um Maybe in the future, not tonight or today or whenever you're listening, but um, maybe in the future I'll even uh, swipe a couple synopses from it. <laughs> we like to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's a particularly... Actually, it's fun if it's a particularly good one or a particularly bad one, you know. just a, a, If it's just a sort of bland one, I'd rather write it myself and, and color in right. my own opinions, but... Yeah, I like Sweet. it. What about you? You've been getting a, getting anything uh, trekky? I well, trekish, sort of, sort of, not really. <laughs> so, I have been uh, I have been searching for a way to publicly thank a good friend of ours, Mark Comback, for uh, the latest box of goodies that he sent oh, me. Oh, you got Comback? I did. And it occurs to me that the thing that was in there that I was most excited about kind of sort of ties in a little bit to Star Trek, but it specifically ties into something that we were talking about a while ago when we were talking about Star Trek, which was concepts of the future and the positive future and kind of the future that we had all wanted but never really came about and that sort of thing. But anyway... Uh, Mark sent me uh, a big box full of all kinds of great goodies. I'm going to tell you just a little bit of what's in here. Hang on just one second. Yeah, he's whenever I whenever I see a package in the mail from Mark and it's usually has a drawing on it, but even so you can his right. handwriting is is very distinctive and it's just like <gasps> it's a comic. So amongst other things that were in here, um, there was a couple of King Kong-related items that uh, made me very excited. One of them is a big hardcover, um, The Making of King Kong, which has me very excited. I don't know if I told you this, Chris. Um, King Kong played in our local area, and it was on a double bill. It was King Kong and Them, the giant ants movie. And Logan and I went to see it, and I loved it. Absolutely, it was so much fun. 
Uh, let's wow, see. There's double a, black and white dosage for yes. a, for a youngin too, and that's yep. a, and he loved it. He loved great, it just yeah. as much as I did. Uh, let's see what else is in here. An old issue, August '63 uh, issue of National Geographic, with a great article in there about Disney and Disneyland. Some comics, amongst which is an issue uh, number three of Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch, which is I think Burns' first professional work. I think. Um, a copy of the novelization of The Black Hole by Alan Dean Foster, which I'm not sure if I, prior to him sending me this, I don't know if I still owned a copy of this, but uh, I did when I was a kid, and I actually read this once and really, really liked it. I might I have to read it. I still again have my copy from that. when I was a kid. But here's the thing that had me really, really excited. And uh, I remember Mark showing me this you know like sending me a picture or telling me about it or something like that and i was like oh yes i would love that that sounds really cool and then you know as i do something shining went by and i promptly forgot about it until it actually arrived in this box of goodies this is the thing that had me really excited it is a book called as i rip my headphones off ow it's a book called the wonderful future that never was and uh, I don't know a lot about Ooh. this book other than it is published by popular mechanics Ooh. and it's basically a collection of of old oh. stories from popular mechanics predicting the future that never was so you've oh, got wow. everything from flying cars to i mean all kinds of video phones hot air traffic balloons air ambulances rooftop lakes uh let's see the dome away from home uh innovative airport shots just all kinds of cool cool stuff going right from it, it covers a specific period of let me see if i can see how this is yeah between Essentially, the turn of the 19th to the 20th centuries through about 1969 or thereabouts. And damn, what a fascinating book. That's I mean, about it's, the time it's period, just too. so cool. And you know, in these old... Uh, I, I know you've seen these. Oh, I just happened to flip to just the right page. Prediction, 1931. Monorails patterned after the Lang line, Lang, Langen rather, line in Germany will make possible speeds of 150 miles per hour between cities and materi materially reduced traveling costs will soon be op in operation in New York. Yeah, I wish. <sighs> Any but, minute you know, now. You remember in these old um, popular mechanics, so often these would be beautifully painted right. pictures and articles showing the world of the future. And these are it's just gorgeous the artwork in these because it's 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 like looking at a still from like an old Warner Brothers cartoon or yeah. something you know just the the quality and the uh, the detail and I think this is why this stuff fired imaginations so much because it wasn't just some you know just some slapdash crap that they'd throw out there going yes you know in in 10 years we'll have ray guns and we'll be living on the moon they showed it to you and it was so incredibly richly illustrated that even the most ridiculous of concepts was easily believable because here you were looking at it mm -hmm. and uh yeah I, I love this someday someday in the future 
down the line, somebody's going to do a similar thing. There was a, and the one magazine I can remember the name of, it was called Mondo 2000. And it was, do, it was this was just before the internet came out, really, you know, for, you know, it was out, but people weren't really using it. But they did a lot of predicting about, like, where we would be right now. In the next few years, this and this and this is going to... And it was all that sort of, you know... It was speculation, and it was kind of aiming at the sky, but at the same time, it was technically plausible, too. Right. You know, they were working off stuff that, that was being worked on or was generally seeming like the direction we were going to, but just never hit the hit the spot. That's the great thing about, like, having listeners send you stuff in, like Mark Kombach. The guy knows what you like. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he saw that, and he goes, this... And uh, it's a wonderful world. Of gra- That's what's great about having garage sale in friends, too, is he's somewhere and sees a book and goes like, oh, that's got Scott Gardner's name. <laughs> now, I got Kambacht just a little while ago, and I got this little, it's just a little pamphlet sort of book, but it's probably from the mid-60s. No, copyright 1957, and it's called Cash from Trash. And it's basically how to make tacky knickknacks out of, you know, old lamps and, <laughs> you know. Actually, the first page I opened to has a lamp where it's like, you know, drill holes in your kids' blocks and put your name on the lamp. And it, the name didn't is there Scott. Used to be, didn't there used to be a commercial for, God, what was that company that when we were kids that always had commercials for... You know, like the Ginsu knife. It was like Remco or something like Ronco. that. But wasn't there old like a yeah Ronco? Ron that was it. Yep. Wasn't there an old Ronco commercial that was like that? Like you know, take your shit from your trash can and turn it into jewelry yes. and knickknacks for your house. And yes. yeah, what was that? I don't. It was probably a book. This this was yeah. probably yeah. ordered. This was probably ordered out of the back of a magazine. Got trash right. laid around. Turned it into cash. You know, send right. one dollar. No, but it wasn't. You. It wasn't a. Ca- I can remember. It was specifically. It wasn't one of the cash ones. It was more like. They had I a almost, tool that turns some like your old cans into a muffler right, or something like that. Right. I mean I may be exaggerating like people actually like dumping out their trash can, but that that's kind of the image I have in my head is that like somebody actually rummaging through the trash, very similar to like Doc Brown at the end of Back to the Future, mm-hmm. pulling stuff out and then using their Ronco, you know cash shit machine or whatever it was, you know, to to make it, you know, to take like an old beer can and make it jewelry or something. You know exactly. what I'm talking about? Exactly. Like that, you know? I or, you know, the... take that take that old three-legged chair and make it into, you know, something. I don't know. Yep. It's just, it's weird. I but got I drunk do... on Pap's Blue Ribbon and now I turned it into a tiara and I'm the belle <laughs> of the ball. <laughs> something very similar to that is what I'm what I'm <laughs> What was the oh, other thing he sent me? I don't have it. Oh, he sent me a graphic novel called One Eight Hundred Mice, and uh, it's it's something that you guys would invite me on to back to the bins to do, so you guys could go like, okay, it's it's <laughs> a very surreal story, and the artwork is, it's that like sort of modern underground. It's not, it's not mouse. It's no. It's, it's not one, the one about the. No, no, what that one's that one's beautiful. That one's. A whole different thing. This one's like very child, child, drawn childlike. Oh, okay. But when you look at the guy's art, you realize 
he has artistic skills because he's using art, artistic stuff in it. So he's trying to make it look like a you know tr like it's not quite the greatest artist there. But he is, and his does you know sense of design and stuff is good. It would it ended up I enjoyed reading it, and Mark was like, yeah, I was you know I thought you might appreciate this, and I did. The best thing about it though is. Whoever made the, like actually made the, it's a hardcover graphic novel and it's sort of bound like a school yearbook. It feels like you're holding a school yearbook in your hand and uh, it's just beautifully printed and like a lot of production into it. I found myself thinking through it like, man, why would, you know, why did they pick this comic to put this much production value into and you know it's it was it was an interesting read but it wasn't great uh, that great as far as that stuff goes but it was really interesting it's a it's a neat i'm i'm it's probably going to be a keeper but yeah come back knew that <laughs> and i was like oh, i'm not sure about this and about halfway through it i'm like okay i'm enjoying this this is i like where this is going and uh yeah he he pretty much nails it every time what were we talking about i was just talking to him about a novelization oh back to the future too right and uh i think he was he'd read it or was looking for it or or something like that oh he's looking for a copy of it he was looking for a copy of it or he'd read it and something about the novelization of it was really strange or something about oh i know what it was he we got to he, to strange novelizations because he was putting up a copy of E.T. Uh, Book of the Green Planet. Oh, right, and yeah. Like, and I commented on, like, hey, have you read this yet? And he's like, I read it when I was a kid, but I don't remember. And I'm like, oh, you should read it. And he's like, hey, this doesn't sell. Do you want it? And I'm like, I still have my copy. <laughs> oh, Mark, if you're listening, I would like that because I've always been curious. See, I stuck my nose up at that as a kid. But now I'm very curious to read it and see if there's anything that's in the E.T. ride at Universal that was that they got from that book. Do you go to because his I planet remember on the ride? You go to his planet on the ride. Yes. Right? So, yeah, yeah, it might be. And the first time I ever rode that ride, that's the first thing I thought of when you get to E.T.'s planet on the ride is I remember thinking, holy shit, this really reminds me of Chris's description of E.T.'s planet from that book. So now I want to read the book. But I wanna... when we were kids, I stuck my nose up at that because I just thought it sounded really stupid. And the ride is, it's not stupid, but the, the best way I can describe the ride is, did you ever play Toe Jam and Earl? Was an old yes. Um, I actually the only time Sega I played Genesis it was, game. The only time I played it was with you on the Sega Genesis up in your serial killer room. Did we ever get to the end of the game? I don't remember. I don't remember. Because if you ever get to the end of the game on Toe Jam and Earl, they go home, and their planet is pretty much the ET planet. <laughs> but it's just, I just I always think of that when uh, when I ride that ride I'm always like damn I wish I I had gotten a copy of that book when I had a chance. Did so you yes, ever Mark, read the original novelization? I did, and I I that's another reason why I never read the Green Planet because I thought the novelization was terrible. I didn't like it. See, the I thing really, about I never Kotswin liked it. Kotzwinkel is like an A level. He's a really 
good writer. Like, well, that's what they say. He's also, of course, I was a kid, you know, so I, I might appreciate it now in a way that I didn't then. Well, I, but I, yeah, I've read a bunch of his other but like his novels that are like his William Kotzwinkel idea, you know, to write a novel, and they're dark. They're fanciful. They're dark. There's one that I haven't read yet. I was talking with Pat, Patrick Delmore was re- reading it, uh, Feta Morgana, which is about um, King Arthur's time. And he started doing a re- he, 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 he reads books out loud on YouTube videos. And he started reading it and then realized, ah, I got some kids who's listening. I forgot this book is totally, like, sexually explicit. I think it was <laughs> William Kotzwinkel. Anyway, and he wrote this book called Dr. Rat that was a, you know, uh it was sort of like Animal Farm, but it was addressing like Nazis. You know, it was sort of like it was it was basically the idea. He, the rat was like a lab rat, but he was like basically like a, a Nazi scientist doctor, and would talk all the other animals who were getting these horrible experiments at, on him on how it was a good thing that they were getting experimented on and. You know, it was. It, and, he uh, he did write Feta Morgana. Holy shit! He wrote he wrote the novelization to Superman three. Really? I have that book and I've never read it. Really? Yep, well, that's the thing sure is, did. he is a really good author. And like when he wrote E. T. that like the E. T. novelization is very whimsical, and I didn't really like it a lot. The Book of the Green Planet, I had to read it because it's like, what happens next? And it was very Splinter of the Mind's Eye-like, you know. It was, like, a much better book than it was supposed to be. But it was also, at the time, a little disappointing because it was a... It's it's about the... It's it's basically Puff the Magic Dragon it is, is basically what that story is. It's about, you know, that E.T. and Elliot retain their connection to each other but that connection's being distanced and tried by Elliot starting to notice girls and stuff like that and E.T. has his job and stuff like that and and the mom figures in as in the novelization of E.T. the mom is like I think pretty much if I recall the E.T. book was like mostly from mom and E.T.'s point of view it seemed and uh, it's sort of the Book of the Green Planet, I think, is like that, too. And mom, Mom's story is, inner, it's basically, you know, what's going on in Mom's life, what's going on in E.T.'s life, and what's going on in Elliot's life. But it's not like the government's chasing after him or anything. It's day-to-day life. So it's a very straight, you know, it's not a very, like, appealing to popular, you know, I mean, Steven Spielberg was going to do his sequel to E.T. as a horror movie, basically, from what it sounded like. And this is, like, the kindest and most, like, humanistic aspects of, like, Steven Spielberg, almost to the point of schmaltziness, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I highly recommend them. I'm, now I'm really super curious about Superman 3. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I have that. I probably don't. I that, the only three I have, I have Back to the Future three novelization. That's the only Back to the Future I have. That's a good one. I've heard the Back to the either the first one or the second Back to the Future novelization is hard to find. I guess it's probably the first one. I'm going to I'm going to imagine because I strangely I've never read the first one. I've read the second one and the, and the third one, and they're very close to the film. But you get 
you know, the whole reason that I don't know about you, but the whole reason I used to like novelizations when we were kids is again, you would often get those DVD extras, you know, right? Scenes that were either left in the cutting room floor or never filmed or maybe play slightly differently in the novel than they do in the movie. Or sometimes the writer even got to embellish a little bit, you know? Right. Because I can, I can distinctly remember in the novel to Back to the Future 3, it explains a little bit more because there's that scene right after, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Buford Tannen shoots Marty and Marty's doing the whole uh, good, the bad, and the ugly thing with the boilerplate and drops it. Mm -hmm. And then he punches him out. And then immediately the deputy shows up to arrest him. You're like, what the hell is he arresting him for? And he says something about robbing the Pine City Station. But it always plays a little bit weird. Like, why wasn't it Sheriff Strickland? Well, in the novel, you find out that that's actually what he's being arrested for is that Buford Tannen killed Marshall Strickland. But for some reason, they didn't. That's not in the movie. I, I don't think they actually filmed it. I think I think they changed their mind on it or something. Right. But you meet you meet Marshall Strickland in you know earlier in the movie. But then at the end, when when Tannen's arrested, it's not the Marshall that arrests him. And it always plays a little bit weird to me. I always notice it every time. And the but they somehow for some reason they changed it. And he gets arrested for robbing a stage, but in actuality, in the in the book, it was because he killed the marshal. But anyway, um, but he did not kill. You the know, you were talking about. <laughs> you were talking about uh, graphic novels here a minute ago, and you reminded me of something I was thinking about you the other day. Uh oh. So, <laughs> so while I was up in uh, up in Georgia visiting family and such, I had the opportunity to spend some time with our good buddy Michael Bailey. Yeah. Uh, Mike actually drove a freaking hour to come see me, which was really awesome on his part. I really appreciated that. Um, but he drove over to where uh, I was visiting my family. And we got together, we had lunch, and then we kind of hung out um, at uh, a little, uh, uh, it was a Starbucks, but they had like the little outdoor cafe type of thing. We were just sitting there and uh, you know, just shooting the breeze and all. I was letting him uh, drag some files off of my portable hard drive. And I happened to notice that sitting inside the Starbucks, there was this girl sitting in there and she had bright green hair. She was very pale dressed very much like a female version of the Joker, like the Joker's daughter or something. And I just happened to notice that the book she was reading, um, I saw it and I got all excited and I started, I was telling Mike, I'm like, okay, so this is that book and blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling him all this stuff. And he's just looking at me like, dude, what, what the hell are you talking about? And then I suddenly realized, okay, this is completely lost on Mike, but you'll think it's cool. At least I'm hoping you will. So we'll see. If I'm Rabbit. not mis- we'll if, if I'm not mistaken, you and I didn't we do a commentary for what was the second apes, the new apes, Dawn, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That was the second one, right? I think we did. Yes, yes, we did. And I think it was you that was telling me about the book that the kid gives to Maurice called The Black Hole. Yes, it was a graphic novel. Yes, that's what the girl was sitting there uh, reading. And when I realized that it, that sounds that about was... right with the green hair and the pale yeah. face. <laughs> so that, I was, that, that would I be got gra- all the time. Like that would be a graphic novel that they would get. Like that's like one that got mass, you know, from the indies that like got. It's sort of like Mouse. It got picked up and repr- You know, I think they're probably still reprinting it. So right, and it's really good. So but it looked exactly like the one from the movie. So I'm like. That's that book 
that the kid gives to Maurice in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And then I realize, look who I'm talking to him. I'm talking to Mike Bailey, who's never seen any of the Planet of the Apes movies. And I was just like, wah, wah. But yeah, I but knew you would understand what I was talking about. He's got that He's got that trivia brain, though, you know. It might have right. triggered something, <laughs> you know. He's got that five degrees of separation brain that just instantly calculates that. So it's not it's not implausible. He's doing good. It was it was good to see Mike. It was good to hang out with him. I, I wish we could have spent a little more time together, but we, we hung out for several hours and until finally uh, the uh, the breeze in the air. I couldn't take it anymore. It was freaking freezing the whole time we were in in Georgia, man. It was so cold. Not used to it. I'm used to my eighty yeah, some degrees. Getting jealous over all your pictures. Just one com- one one last comment on on seeing your pictures from your vacation. Is uh-huh. you know how when you're you're friends with someone on you you commu- friends with somebody that you communicate with fairly regularly on Facebook that you know, and that, that basically I'm talking right. about your son Scott Jr. is he's on my Facebook right. list and every once in a while you know we'll we'll comment back and forth and stuff, but you know I'm not I don't I he you know he lives hours and hours away I don't see the guy, so. Whenever I think of him, I associate it with his picture on his Facebook. So then right. I see, you know, which is probably like three years old now. So when I saw the pictures of you with him, it was like I almost didn't recognize him at first. It's like in in his face, and and it, it's like it's I, I want to say dramatic, but like you can see just half Scott Gardner and half your wife. In right. his face now, and it's like, as he's as he's maturing, he's it, genetics are just incredible. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that's what Scotty looks like now. And it's the same with Logan. When I see Logan, it's like, the last time I saw him was what two years ago when we were in New York City, and it's just like right. at that point where like that two years ago, I'm expecting him to look the same. And it's like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's the downside with both of those kids is I could never, you know, I could never claim that, you know, they belong to the mailman or I found them side the road or something because they're both spitting damn No, you and your wife are locked in on those kids, man. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I had one last thing uh, I wanted to bring to uh, the preamble segment here. So in the interest of, uh, of fair play, it occurs to me that you and I, sir, have done a lot of bitching and confessing uh, in recent uh, months about, you know, being basically, you know, we were talking about, you know, that that old discussion of, you know, why isn't there intelligent science fiction anymore? Why isn't there anything that's you know projecting a positive image you know, and all the stuff that we were talking about in, in fairly recent episodes? And it occurs to me that there's something that I've really been enjoying lately that uh, I just wanted to kind of uh, make the listeners aware of in case they aren't already aware of it and uh, clue them in. There's a show out now called Timeless. Have you watched this show? Do you know what I'm no, talking about? Hope Mullinex is a big fan of that and has been has she's been pressuring me to watch it. So it's on my it's on my radar, but that's about all I know about it. it I is hear a, it's sort of like Quantum Leap a little bit. Um, maybe I never really watched that show. I mean, I know the show you're talking about. I uh, may uh, maybe kind of. Here was the hook for me. I don't want to spoil anything on it, but here was the the hook for me is that for one, 
um, it's a time travel thing. And you know me, I'm a, I'm always a sucker mm-hmm. for time travel, especially when it's intelligently written. This is very intelligently written. They are really thinking the stuff out. But what I like about this is as it gets bigger, you realize that there's a much deeper story here than what you, you kind of thought it was at the beginning, that basically there's a... What this reminds me of in a, in a, in a weird sort of way is it kind of reminds me of a a subplot that was going on in Star Trek Enterprise that never really seemed to go anywhere, where there was this temporal cold war is what they called it, a temporal cold, cold war, where basically it was being fought through time. And that's kind of what's going on in Timeless. As, the more you get into it, the more you realize that time is being manipulated by this evil corporation that wants to basically bend the course of human history to their own will for sinister purposes although we're not really privy yet to exactly what their goal is we just know that it ain't good and here's where i was hooked and i was hooked in the very first episode i was hooked because it does something at first it feels like it's going to be your standard okay you know we've got our 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 new and different characters but the mechanics of this feel very familiar and you know if you've read a lot of time travel science fiction which i have then at first it feels kind of like an old pair of shoes you know kind of like okay we're falling into a routine i I can i can predict where this is going to go and where it really threw me for a loop is when i realized in the first episode that oh my gosh this isn't going where i think it is because normally what happens in these things is okay somebody's in the past screwing with the past we have to go and we have to stop them to preserve the past and what i really like about this they oftentimes fail they don't actually preserve the timeline exactly the way the timeline was and when that happens then they just have to deal with the ramifications of the changes to history and I thought, man, that is cool. That's yeah. way different than any other science fiction series dealing with tra- time travel. That I, you know, I mean, of course, it's more. I've it read, seems more quote unquote realistic. Yeah, it, it does because you realize that. Okay, you know, so say there was uh, uh, an instance where this historical thing happened. Well, we prevented something really horrible from happening, and the thing still happened. It just now it didn't happen exactly the way that history books recorded it before we went back in time. Now it's a little bit. It happened in a different way, or not as dramatically, or 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 more dramatically, or whatever. And they just kind of have to roll with the punches on these things because they're fighting a battle through time. And I'm telling you, I'm digging that. I'm digging that aspect of it, that there are ramifications for the time travel. And that that's cool. That's been the hook for me, is seeing what happens when they come back to the present every time and noticing that things are changing. And that's really cool. It, it's, it's very intelligently written. It's really well acted. And uh, here's another hook for you, Chris. The lead male actor in the show is um damn now i'm gonna blank on the guy's name but he was the voice actor for anakin in the clone wars oh yeah 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 lancer matt matt lancer 
that, and yeah, the, they, Matt, they, Matt. they actually make clone yeah. some Clone Wars Anakin sort of they, they little do. references. Yeah, hope hope is on that stuff, man. Let me tell you. Yep. In one of the latest episodes I watched, uh, there was a really good Han Solo joke in there. So yeah, yeah, they do uh, they do make their uh, their Star Wars jokes, but yeah, there is a good it's, amount. It's good stuff. It's a really a good, good show. amount of real science fiction getting. I think it's coming back. So I'm very excited. I, like. Uh, I've heard uh, now. I know nothing about this, but I know I've heard from a lot of people that if you like serious science fiction, there's a show called The Expanse, and I'm not sure on what streaming service it goes on, but I've heard that it's amazing and very scientifically based. They try to keep like the the technology and physics of it real. And there was that new Blade Runner movie. There's a Black Mirror TV show. Is hard, some hard science fiction. I just saw that movie, uh, Annihilation. That was pretty hard science fiction, with a dash of more than a dash of horror to it. But it was a hard. You know, it was like reading an old Arthur C. Clarke novel. You know, with concept right. wise. Right. So it's. It's it's come I think with now the way that media is being streamed and you know like um Netflix is just like yeah we need content here make stuff you know they're they're getting there's there's more people I think the people who are writing science fiction and genre fiction for the most part are getting really good these days you know I'm very happy with a lot of stuff coming out so yeah that's maybe more of a complaint that a lot of it is in positive future <laughs> style, but even if it's dystopian or slightly dystopian, ah, people need more real hard science fiction, you know, instead of just not that, not that action science fiction isn't fun and good and worth seeing and pursuing, but like real speculative fiction. I think it's kind of coming back. And we'll be here to gloat. Hey, <laughs> speaking of quality science fiction and top-notch writing. Uh, do you know of any? We, we've got an episode here that just sort of dodged both those bullets. <laughs> I was wondering how you were going to connect that, because that sure as hell isn't this episode, that's for sure. New. No. I mean, it could be worse, but yeah. <sighs> We've been stalling, folks, if you get, couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Not really spinning the wheels, but stalling. Oh, all right. So, Well, I know you have the synopsis for this one. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. You, you may already have this information, so I apologize if I'm, if I'm jumping the gun here. But I just want to say that this episode, Captain's Holiday, aired the week of April 2nd, 1990. Wow. What is that, 28 years ago? Is that right? Yeah. the 19th episode of season three, which puts it really kind of in the same place as the original series episode that we did. It's not the penultimate episode of season three, but it's late in the third season. Yep. So it's sort of around in the same place. So you'd think they'd know better now. now. <laughs> well, you know, not that's as if, if, if you wanted me to critically evaluate season three of the original series and season three of next generation i think next generation would would get higher ratings i think in general you know in just a general 
mass of even though I always prefer original series but this one would be one that would be lowering the average for sure <laughs> it, it's definitely inferior to its season 3 counterpart alright this one is called Captain's Holiday which to me sounds like uh, like something when you go to uh, oh how shall I put it like a bordello <laughs> and you have a little menu of things that you could choose from it'd be like I'll take the captain's holiday and they dress <laughs> you up like a pirate and put you in the room that looks like a ship with a wench alright so here's the synopsis <clears throat> Captain Jean-Luc Picard is a cranky prick so the whole crew passive aggressively <laughs> forces him to take a vacation on the hotel planet of the butt cheeks where all he really wants to do is lay around in his nut huggers reading his book. Of <laughs> course, he ends up in a Maltese Falcon-like intrigue with a future crystal, with future crystal oven-mitted time travelers, <laughs> a snaggletooth Ferengi, and a reasonably beautiful woman. <laughs> reasonably beautiful. <laughs> right? I, call, I, I, I about called it. I don't know the actress's name, but she's reasonably beautiful. I think they should have casted a hottie patati, but I think they spent their hottie patati budget on the background actors in this one. <laughs> and just just for just just out of sheer speculation, but I would speculate that this was an episode that Gene Roddenberry came down to the set to personally uh, make sure everything was in tip-top production value, because there would be a lot of bikini ladies walking around in thongs. So I was. Uh, were you done with you? No, yeah, synopsis? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was reading something about that today, and now for the life of me, I don't know where the hell I read it at because I, I should have saved it because it was a much more interesting than anything I'm finding as I'm perusing the uh, Star Trek companion uh, companion at the moment. But it was something to the effect that see, this was the first episode. Uh, written and credited to Ira Stephen Bear, who, I, if I'm remembering properly, I think he's the guy that goes on to be the the, the main dude with uh, DS9. And he talked to Roddenberry about this, and Roddenberry wanted it all sexed up. And he wanted people, you know, like, actually yeah. having sex in the background and stuff, and uh, I guess he wanted, like, same-sex couples and everything... And sounds like I was right. <laughs> yeah, Bear went to um, whoever was in charge of Trek at the time, and and was they basically told him to just kind of ignore Gene Roddenberry. It sounds like, so we didn't really get all that in here. But I, I'm I'm both. This is a weird one in that aspect of Risa itself. I'm both a little shocked by things that we see, but then I'm also a little like, wow, for being like the horn dog planet, this it's kind of kind of lame in other aspects because I mean in in the one aspect you've got topless women because that that girl that comes to Picard, I mean she's topless under that raincoat. So if it wasn't for the little rigid ridgy things right over her boobs, you could see straight through that outfit that she's wearing. So I thought, well, that's kind of daring for 80s TV. But then that's pretty much it. And then anything else you're seeing is, is no worse than, you know, an episode of, like, 
dynasty or something. You yeah, know? yeah. You're, you're, it, was, not... it was like a toned-down version of the porno planet that they took Wesley to. Well, I think even the porno planet was more more porno than this was. That's what you know I'm what saying. I mean? I'm I saying think that this was... one was toned yeah. down from it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, for this being as as touted and, you know, because there's a lot of, at the beginning of the episode, a lot of Riker being like, hur, 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 and then you get there and it's like, wow, this planet's almost as boring as Picard is, honestly. I mean, it, it's all dialogue driven, but you're not seeing this, this, you know, the salaciousness that they're hinting at right. in the beginning to, of the episode. It's supposed to be like uh, Club Med, you know, where right, like right. a playground. Of, <laughs> so people should be cavorting around drunk and have it, you know, carousing. There should be bands playing and. You know, it's right. he's instead he's in a quiet like little area. It's just like, yeah, come on. Maybe he's in the like retirement section or yeah, something exactly. like that. Yeah, he's like that in would, you know that would he's like in the space sense. villages or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, according to the captain's log book, that this episode was originally gonna be just straight up like a Maltese Falcon intrigue and they decided it wasn't lively enough so they added the whole time travel thing with the oven mitt guys who basically look like the um, Bruce Campbell sort of variations on the Bruce yeah. Campbell creatures from last episode yeah and they don't that doesn't add anything to this no. episode I read that too and then as soon as I read that I'm like okay so that if that was your way of jazzing this up you colossally fail because it not only doesn't it jazz it up it makes it kind of stupid and convoluted. So yeah, yeah, it just what makes was it the a little more confusing point? without adding anything to it. I yeah. mean, an example it, of where it really it doesn't add anything. An example of where it worked was that episode. I don't think we've gotten to it yet, but the one with Max Headroom in it, where yes. he's from the future and he's just like, oh, right. here's this moment, you know, and and, right. and all that, and that that added a dimension to it. This what this added a dimension to it. It it seemed like it could add a dimension to it. So you were sort of anticipating by the end of it, you would figure out how it all clicks together, and then it just doesn't at all. It just, <laughs> it just totally neglects doing that. So, yeah. I mean... I am trying to remember the name of that one that you're talking about, because I can't remember if we've done that one yet or not. I don't think so. I think it's like next season. Okay. All I remember was that one they... Like our local channel seemed to play that one a lot. I used to catch that one all the time. And yeah. Like, oh, this one again. Yeah, I, I know exactly one I the one seen. you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Let me... Well, who's gonna bring up the uh, the 800 pound uh, tome of Shakespeare in the room on this one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, we do have a couple here. Well, you I, tell me I, what I, yours is. <laughs> as I said in the beginning, the the thing that annoys the shit right out of me with this episode is he goes to the free sex planet, and that woman walks up and you know she offers him harangajang or whatever the hell it is. Basically, you know, would you, would you like me to slob your knob for you? And he's, oh no, I'm much more interested in my book. Please, please go away. And I'm like, the hell is wrong with you? Really? Well, my note on that subject is. Who the fuck, pardon my French, reads a book in people's faces? If someone comes up to you and talks to you, do you just sit there and just keep reading your book and ignoring them? I mean, 
I mean, I'm sure some people do. It depends. Are, like, are we at work? This guy's Jean-Luc Picard, Mr. Classy, and and man, what a grumpy little baby. You know, it's just like how you're on this planet. Everybody's having a good time. Somebody at least takes the time to, you know, to offer you snoo snoo. And you just sit there and, like, I'm going to ignore you with this book like you're a piece of crap. You know, at least smile and go, like, oh, thank you. But, no, it's okay. My penis fell off last week. So, you know, no go. Or I don't some, know you know this fact about Jean-Luc Picard or not. And how do I put this um, diplomat? He's an asshole. Yeah, That's, he's a prick. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, the funny thing about this, again, I'm getting a lot of this information from various sources, um, none of which I have pulled up at the moment. So take them, take them with a big old grain of salt. But what I heard or what I read rather about this specific episode is that the whole thing with Vash in this was at Patrick Stewart's insistence because he thought there needed to be. And this is his words. There needed to be more fucking and fighting. Well, if this is your idea of fucking and fighting, you have colossally been misinformed about one of those particular Here. subjects. Here's a little VHS <laughs> tape that says uh, the life and times of William Shatner on it. Now take this and uh, frame by frame it if you have to, but come on, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Even the fighting. Now, come on. This is the thing where I have I am starting to strongly suspect that there's something's a little funny, not just with Captain Picard, but maybe with Patrick Stewart. I'm I'm not all that convinced he's into women, right? So like his his bestest pal is um, Gandalf, who right. I, he's I guess is definitely not into women. Definitely yeah. not into it. That's a, that's then, a confirmed. Check, check the check mark, yeah. Watch the part where he punches Sovak. He hits like a girl. I mean, have you ever seen like a really effeminate guy throw a baseball? Right, right. That's the, how he hits Sovak no, in the part where he punches him. He like cocks his arm way back at this weird, awkward angle and then just this like does this like eh. into his face. And I'm, yeah, exactly. And I saw that, and I thought, hmm, that's that's very interesting there, uh, Patrick Stewart. So I, yeah, I don't well, know. Uh, but even so, even so, let's just say if if there are gay guys who can throw a punch, <laughs> maybe you right, should emulate right? them. <laughs> but the but character wise, Picard, this is a guy who basically died once in combat by having a sword or a knife put through his heart you would think that would add no, you, that alone would add enough gristle to to where you could throw a nice manly punch or something i don't know maybe counterintuitively counterintuitively in the future they've decided they've figured out a way to sort of taekwondo girly punches into a more powerful version <laughs> of the punch they're just like the old double-fisted kirk punch was great but we've our scientists have come up with this new punch and i know it doesn't look good but boy, this thing knocks him right out. I guess. Now we have a new way for you guys to throw things. <laughs> now, was this planted on the way to where the where they were going? Because here's the thing. It seemed okay, like so... it was like not a a super 
departure from where the, we're going, you know what I mean? Because that, that's the only thing that would logically make any sense to me, is that if this just happened to me, you know, happened to be the most convenient hotel planet on the way to where they were actually heading. Well, speaking of convenient hotels, I think really what the set is was the favorite hotel of the cast and crew, and they said, yeah, let's save some money, we could just film at this hotel. Right. Because <laughs> it looks you like know what a I mean? there's I mean, hardly anything on it really to say that this is a modern space hotel. It could be any hotel these days. Right. But I mean, okay, you want to spend your hard-earned vacation time reading a book. All right, I, I think you're seriously lame. But if that's what you want to do, fine. But here's where this episode completely falls apart to me. You're going to read your book uh, at the Playboy Mansion. Really? Because that just doesn't seem to make a hell of a lot of sense to me whatsoever. You're going to read your book at the one place that you know you're going to be constantly be pestered for, would you like to get some? Why the hell wouldn't he just vacation at, like, the library planet or... Right, you know the the boring old folks planted or holo, you know you. I mean, they. I think they address why he doesn't just holodeck it, but at the same time, he might as well be holodecking it. And and you know, I mean, at the, even at the very least, if you don't want if you don't want to build the beast with two backs, there's got to be like probably really good food and drink on that planet, and or like entertainments you know they probably have space wade newton playing in the you know in the lounge and stuff <laughs> like that you know it, it's like it's like he's pissed i i think what the character picard they figured when they wrote it was he was pissed that he got sort of maneuvered into it and you know he's he's a little crybaby and doesn't like that that the, the crew made him do something that he was dragging his feet on and so he's gonna but it only would make sense if they were down there with him. If he said, I'm going to sit and read my book. There, you guys have failed. He's down there. He could just tell him he read his book the whole time. And, and you know, I mean, the reason I think they sent him there is because I think um, basically the two biggest horn dogs in the world, um, number one and, and um, Troy, were instrumental in uh, maneuvering him into it. So they've probably been there already, and they probably did indulge in the fun in the, of that planet. So they were just like, ah, we'll send him there, and, you know, Captain Captain obviously needs to get his pipes cleaned. So we'll send him down to the pipe cleaner <laughs> planet that we, we love so much. And, you know, of course, Jean-Luc is not going to... And this is where I thought, okay, this is what I thought was happening with this episode. Because I, I have a note here. It says uh, Jean-Luc Picard's life is, is like a holodeck program in this. This whole thing plays out like a stupid hologram pro pro program where it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't pretend to be... If, if you keep trying to like not have a good time in this program, we'll keep throwing, you know, we'll throw a storyline in here and intrigue and <laughs> danger and stuff like that. It almost seemed... Or like you went... It's almost like what you know those murder mystery games, or something like right. that. I I almost thought something like that was happening. Like, okay, you know that first girl after the first girl that he turned down went over to the you know to the desk and was like, Jesus Christ, this guy will not lighten up and and accept you know my my bodily offers, 
you know, let's put plan B on him and they get some act, you know, they get some actors out and set up the whole, you know, we'll beam, get the guys in their Bruce Campbell alien suits and we'll beam them in and, you know, we'll force, since he's a captain, he'll have to, you know, it'll give him, it'll give him something in his framework to do. And I thought maybe that's what was going on. And nope, it wasn't that complicated. It was really going on. And it's like, no, reality isn't this cheesy. <laughs> so, yeah, that was I think that was a missed opportunity. Although if they threw that element in on top of the time travel and on top of everything else, it still wouldn't have been more exciting. It would have just been another layer of convoluted, I guess. I know. I, the most exciting thing to me in this episode is I was cracked me up is the Ferengi's got a freaking Bill Cosby sweater on. <laughs> and you're they, you're right. They really snaggle tooth this one up too. I like him. He's got nice spitty snaggle teeth. While I really don't like the role he's playing in this episode, that actor um his name Michael Grodenchik would go on to be uh, another Ferengi named Rom on uh, DS9 and I kind of liked him I, I think he was honestly the only Ferengi character I ever kind of liked but I, I kind of liked Rom he was he was actually kind of an interesting character I, I are, felt sorry for him the Ferengi have that combination of and and they've to, the, you know they've toned down you know their first appearance where they're just like he 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 and, right. and, and now they're, you know, now I, I, I like Ferengi because it gives it gives an extra character actor a chance to really have fun and be just like, you know, like just ridiculously snidely whiplash repulsive, you know. And I mean, that's the nature of Ferengi. So they get to just like really let go. So it's it's kind of entertaining. Not really in this case, though. It was, you know. It wasn't in the service of a, a great story, per se. <laughs> but yeah, I'm 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 thinking the only other note I have here is, and and this goes back to our last um, last TNG episode. Is there's another time where. Um, and I and and it's been a couple of weeks since I saw the episode, but somebody offers gold <laughs> for I think the you know the Maltese Falcon thing, and it's just like right. who cares? <laughs> yeah, thanks for the gold. You know, I've got fifteen bricks of it that I just you know made up on my you know uh, you know what you call it. I would imagine they should be able to just you know dial up some gold if they want to on Star Trek. You know, if you can dial up a cheeseburger. <laughs> so that yeah. that was another thing. It was just like, oh, really? People value value gold at this point, but give me a cheeseburger with a side of gold. Yep. Yeah. Gold. You get your Goldschlager vodka. I'm sure they. I don't know if they drink Goldschlager in the future, though. Probably not. <laughs> just sounds all kinds of rude. You ever heard Schlager. of Goldschlager? It, it's it's a vodka and it actually has slivers of gold in it. I have heard drink. of this, yes. And you drink it and, you know, you literally pass the gold through your body. 
Give it a little ride through your body. Super classy. Your, your turds are flecked with gold the next day. Which is sort of brings us back to this episode. A turd flecked with gold. Without <laughs> the gold. <laughs> Minus the gold. Yeah, I I really have nothing else on. I don't have. I definitely don't have anything nice to say about this episode. I I really. Oh, you know what? No. I, I, as I'm flipping the pages here in the Star Trek: The Next Generation companion, uh, there is one other thing I wanted to talk about. Vash. Um, I'm sorry. I I don't buy this thing with them at all. I understand what they were going for. in an odd kind of way I even appreciate what they were kind of going for I like the actress and I think she was doing the best she could do with what she had to work with but unfortunately I don't buy that there's anything between these two at all I think she sells it a little more than he sells it but it it just doesn't work. She's got um, another layer to chew on on that because there's the is she playing him or does she really like him aspect of it. So it's got a little bit of femme fatale in it. And I mean, her character, like on paper, is kind of like, you know, what was her name? Lauren Bacall, like in Casablanca's type of noir character right. and like Kathleen Turner maybe in Romancing the Stone or something but she's not really that vivacious she's vivacious sort of in a like I don't know how to describe this on a TV set sort of way you know they have sort of dialogue back and forth and stuff and and that but you know there's not that sense that these two are on a physical adventure together right and you know I mean chemistry in a situation like this, like the most chemistry that Picard shows towards her is sort of like bemused interest. You know? Right. I just don't buy that he's like, like, he's like thinking, oh yeah, I could hook up with her if she's on the level, but she's probably not on the level, but we'll all see where this goes, you know? And, and, uh, and, you know, I'm on the planet where I could be having sex right now with four beautiful women on a feather pillow but you know what I think I'm (laughs) going to choose the time to have sex right now when we're on a rock and my only mattress is this thin (laughs) blanket and that's when I'll decide to start pounding away on my girlfriend so yeah yeah but I don't think they did though do you did they get it on I don't think think so either nope nope I think maybe probably she probably got all all horned up, and then he just pulled out his book and resumed where he left off. She started coming yeah, up to uh, him, and then he went. <laughs> <laughs> and she was just like, "Screw it!" and turned around and went to sleep. <laughs> Poor frustrated Vash. We will see Vash again in, in at least one more. Maybe uh... <laughs> we'll make it so. What? (laughs) We will see her again in at least one more um, next generation, next generation episode, much further down the line. Yes. Okay, so she's gonna Harry Mud it. 
Yeah, she does come back again later on um, in an episode that, as I recall, is uh, is also not very good. Um, So basically, she is the Harry Mudd of (laughs) Next Generation. In a kind of weird way. Now, uh, Picard eventually does get uh, a girlfriend in a really, really good episode where I totally buy the chemistry between... Uh, the two characters, and it's a it, it is a solid, solid uh, love story episode. Maybe they should have um, named I, her like Mary Fudd. <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head what epi- what a season that is in. I want to say it's probably like sixth season. By the way, that one you were talking about before with uh, Max Headroom, that is a fifth season episode called A Matter of Time. Ah, okay. That is a really good one. That is a very good episode. I'm trying to find the one that I'm thinking of, but uh, I'm not seeing it here um, in the fifth season. But like, like I say, it's I, I think that's rather late in the series, as I recall. So, but yeah, it's it's a good one when we eventually get there. But that is all I have on this one. I am uh, I am not a fan of Captain's Holiday. This this. I think I groaned when the number came up, and uh, yeah, deservedly so, because it's I, I'm I'm good never ever seeing this episode again at this. Yeah, point. there's there's nothing really to distinguish it or make it even fun for like crap value. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's like it's like a lame hard. holodeck episode without the holodeck. <laughs> All right. Well, at least lessons. It is called lessons. It is in the sixth season. Uh, yes, where Picard finally gets a girlfriend that uh, that I totally buy. All right. Anyway, so back to yes. Um, so next time around, ooh, here's the problem that we're facing: is that we've got a couple of stinkers before we get really back on track with some good episodes again. I hate to say that. I mean, we are rapidly heading towards Best of Both Worlds, which I cannot wait for us to tackle because, as I recall, I don't think you've ever seen that. I have not. Um, and we I've have a couple of really good episodes years. before we get there. But in the meantime, we've got, uh, we've got two to kind of slog through yet. Um, so next time around, if we only do one episode next time, our next one is Tin Man which I started watching recently and I was like, oh yes, this one. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, so you have that to look forward to. We, we but, have uh, been talking about maybe we'll see how we'll, we'll, we'll see how our time works out, but we definitely have been talking about maybe doubling up on two of the duds to, to, to speed up to, to some yep. of the better stuff. So that might, that might happen. You might get two. you yeah. might get two duds next time. If you're really lucky guys. Just to get them the hell out of the way, because the one that's after that is one called Hollow Pursuits. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. Did you see the one where, um, oh God, what the hell was his name? Mad Dog Murdoch from the A-Team. I think it's the first one with him. No. He plays this nut. He's he's a member of the crew, but he's kind of goofy and nobody likes him. And so he goes into the holodeck to create fantasies and ends up pissing the whole crew off because he's in the holodeck like having sex with Troy and and 
he Riker is like a dwarf that he's menacing and, and it's really so he's stupid. like me <laughs> it's so a really what really I would stupid. do on the Enterprise <laughs> I can't wait to see the Picard dwarf yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah I, don't, I just don't recall that one being a particularly good uh, good episode but anyway so there you go we got a couple of humdingers for you next time mm, ding <laughs> If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.